This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. It's one year since we first launched our Property Patter podcasts, and what a year it's been. We've covered agricultural tenancies, trespassers, break rights, the tricky labels of without prejudice and subject to contract, and much, much more. Our first ever podcast looked at the basics of business tenancy renewals under the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. So we thought we'd revisit that legislation, particularly in light of the market changes brought about by COVID-19. To examine how the court is likely to view these difficult negotiations between commercial landlords and tenants, we have Georgina Redsell and Sam Lear from our real estate disputes team, as well as myself, Emma Humphreys. So let's start with hopefully quite a simple question. Sam, when you and I last spoke about the 54 Act in our previous podcast, I think it might be useful to start off by reminding our listeners about what happens in a falling market, such as the one we now appear to be in, in particular, what sort of tactical considerations are there for either a landlord or tenant in commencing lease renewal proceedings? Thank you, Emma. Well, typically in a fallen market, uh, which is to say that the market rent is going down, it is usually in the tenant's interests to get the ball rolling as soon as possible. The new rent is determined by reference to the open market rate, which in a falling market is likely to be lower than the existing rent. Conversely, landlords will not want to commence proceedings under these circumstances, as it would want to maintain the higher existing rent for as long as possible. When a landlord or tenant is specifying the rent for the renewal lease in their notice, they are having to anticipate what the market will be doing in six to 12 months' time or even more. This is particularly tricky in the current climate because if we optimistically assume that the pandemic will have a V-like effect on the market, then both parties will need to consider the time carefully. It is conceivable that the market could fall further as uncertainty continues over COVID-19 or Brexit. If landlords consider that the market could fall even further for a long period of time, there might be an argument that it should cut its losses and get the ball rolling before the market's rent drops even further. However, if we're talking about a transient blip and that we are reaching the bottom of that V before it rebounds, then the tenants would want to act as quickly as possible to benefit from the comparatively low market rent, but the landlords will probably want to sit tight to wait for the market to fully recover. Interim rent is another intriguing area um, during all of this. Again, if the market appears to be dropping, the landlord might want to get its application for interim rent in as soon as possible because it benefits from a higher interim rent before the new rent is set, and vice versa. There are technical complexities that advisors need to be alive to. Usually the first to make an application has control of the process because it precludes the other from making an application unless the original one is withdrawn. Equally, if an application is made but subsequently withdrawn six months after the termination of the tenancy, this would prevent the other party from making any application at all. This is discussed in greater detail, of course, in our previous podcast on the matter. So if anyone wants to learn any more, then I'd recommend revisiting that one. But very quickly, there are a couple of other considerations at play as well. The courts are likely to experience a heavy backlog of cases, which could result in significant delays in proceedings being determined. Equally, the parties might prefer certainty during these uncertain times, as they may even wish to avoid incurring legal fees and so prefer to reach some kind of negotiated deal instead. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because 
you know, obviously landlords and tenants are having are having to engage quite closely on the question of repaying arrears and things like that at the moment. And as you say, given that it's in both parties' interest to achieve some certainty, and given the backlog you mentioned is a very good point, there's some pressures, aren't there? There's some pressures on landlords and tenants to to do a deal and um and come to some arrangement rather than trying to do it through the courts. And if I'm acting for a tenant who maybe isn't currently occupying its premises or perhaps it's only just starting to think about taking up occupation again because of the issues obviously that various businesses have had as a result of COVID-19. Georgina, is that tenant still able to commence renewal proceedings? In a nutshell, yes. So there are examples of cases where the court has had to consider whether a tenant who, who no fault of their own is barred from accessing their property whether that tenant is still in occupation. And generally speaking, the court have found that the tenant doesn't lose the protection of the 1954 Act simply by ceasing to physically occupy the premises. The courts have found that occupation, there's an element of intention there as well as physical occupation. So one example that's given in the cases is, you know, if I'm a shopkeeper, and I close my shop for a fortnight because I want to let my staff have a holiday, then no one's going to be able to successfully argue that the fact that I've gone away for a fortnight means, you know, I'm not occupying my shop anymore and I'm losing the protection of the 54 Act. There are obviously some exceptions to that. So where the tenant has sublet the whole of the property, that tenant can't be occupying for business purposes. It's the the subtenant that's obviously occupying. And also another point that might be useful for tenants to bear in mind in the current climate where I don't know you're you're wanting to downsize so maybe you've got a lease of several floors that you're occupying as offices but you're only actually occupying say two out of the four floors then your right to renew relates to those premises that you're occupying so in your section 26 request you can say I would only like a lease of these two floors please but it is then open to the landlord to say well, that's very interesting, but no, you have to take a lease of the whole of what's currently demised. That's assuming so that's, it's all in one lease, isn't it? So if, if yeah, if exactly. One lease. Yeah, exactly. So they could still find that actually they have to take a lease of the whole lot. Yeah. Okay. And you know, with renewal leases, uh, I think one issue uh, which is bound to come up is going to be the length of the term of the new lease. I suspect that in the current climate, some tenants will want to achieve greater flexibility and will be looking for pretty short leases, perhaps, you know, three years, maybe even less. Is there any recent guidance on whether a court would grant a renewal lease for that sort of short period of time? Yes, there is. So going back to basic principles, if the length of term of the new lease can't be agreed between the parties, then it will be determined by the court in accordance with Section 33 of the Act. That means that the court will decide the duration of the term of the new tenancy depending on what is reasonable in all of the circumstances. And the court can grant a maximum term of up to 15 years. And there has actually been a recent county court case on this. It related to a master agreement. So the tenant was Vodafone and they were seeking a renewal lease of just three years, actually, and their landlord, which was Hanover Capital, were asking for a term of 10 years. And Vodafone's reasons for wanting 
such a short length of term with the fact that they'd already been holding over under the current tenancy since 2013. And there were also uncertainties that were peculiar to the new electronic communications code, which is, for people who don't know, sort of an additional level of security of tenure that's available to operators. Like the 54 app, but with bells and whistles, don't we say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of, a whole host of case law coming out um, under the new code. And a lot of that is subject to appeals. There's two going to the Court of Appeal. There's one going to the Supreme Court. The Vodafone were just saying, you know, we don't know what the law actually is because of all of these appeals. So, you know, we would like the flexibility to have a short term because the way that their renewal lease was going to work was that this was a renewal under the 54 Act, but it would also be a code agreement. So when they came to renew the new lease, they would do that under the code. So they were sort of saying, you know, we could potentially have more rights than X, Y and Z. I thought that was really interesting, actually. I thought that was a really interesting line of argument when they raised that. It's kind of like, we don't know where we stand. We need a bit more time. You know, let's see how all the cases go. I have thought before that people might try to argue that sometimes. And I'm I'm not sure that I've ever seen a case where they have actually come right out and said, we don't know where we stand and we want a bit more time to find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's quite interesting. That That was a factor that the court took into consideration. But the court said... You've got the length of term of your current tenancy or your old tenancy. And whilst that's a relevant consideration, there's no presumption that you just repeat the old term. And it's different to if I want to introduce a new term or change a a clause in my lease, there's no onus on me having to justify why I want, I don't know, 15 years if the old lease was only 10 years, for example. So you know, helpfully classic classic lawyer answer, but every case is going to depend on its own facts. So the relevant considerations are the length of the current tenancy, period the tenant's been holding over, and also the nature of the tenant's business. So the court's got to carry out that balancing exercise between the degree of protection that tenant's entitled to in order to protect its business and also to ensure that the decision isn't unfair or oppressive in any way on the landlord. So on the facts of that case, the judge found that it was reasonable to grant a 10-year term with a break at year five. And the court didn't did take into account all of those reasons that had been put forward by Vodafone. But the judge, interestingly, took into account the fact that the proceedings had been very expensive So I think there was reference to the costs incurred by Vodafone in an unopposed lease renewal was something like £350,000. And they had treated it as a test case, you know, because it was a master agreement, so it was all to do with the code. But it was described by the judge as an expensive and unwanted distraction for the landlord. So because of the fact that, you know, inevitably the judge thought that a renewal was going to lead to further litigation that the the landlord should sort of have a bit of a breather (laughs) essentially from litigation and that was why they they grant he granted the the next term that he did so 10 years with a break at year five yeah and I thought that was really interesting actually because it was a it was a real recognition perhaps unsurprising given who the judge was and knowing uh, his experience with the landlord and tenant field but there was a real understanding wasn't there that actually you know landlords want to get on with their business and and spending time and money on litigation really is a distraction and I mean as you say George it comes down to 
you know, the, the relevant circumstances will always dictate the outcome because I do think here also, I suspect the judge would have been very mindful that the landlord was particularly averse to spending its money on negotiating the terms on which mast apparatus was going to stay on its site that it's not really that fussed about and isn't going to get that much rent for. So I, I suspect there was a recognition of that, which is slightly different from you know, a lot of lease renewal cases. But term, I think, you know, the term of a new lease, the duration, is always quite a tricky one to to work out where it's going to end up because, it, you know, the, the different parties reasoning for what they want, it's so subjective. And then the courts, as you say, got to do this balancing exercise, hasn't it? And you mentioned there about, obviously, the Vodafone case, we ended up with a with a break, which is often what they do, don't they? The judges, it's kind of like, oh, this, they're quite far apart, I know. <laughs> Let's have a compromise. Let's have a break. Um, but break clauses come up a lot, and I think break clauses are inevitably going to come up a lot, aren't they, going forward? So what sort of things do the courts think about there if a tenant wants to include a break option either as well as or instead of um, a shorter term in order to achieve that desire for flexibility? So the considerations are quite similar to, to what the court will consider when it comes to length of term. So... The court will look at all of the circumstances, including the duration of the new tenancy, whether or not there's any break clause in the existing lease, and then the tenant's reasons for wanting the break option. So the court's likely to have sympathy for a tenant if it can show that it's got a realistic possibility that it's going to need to relocate from those premises during the term. And the fact that the existing lease has got a break clause in it isn't automatically going to entitle the tenant to a new break right. But the court will tend to allow that sort of break right to roll over into the new lease if the landlord can't persuade the court that there's been a change in circumstances that a break right is no longer required. So in the Vodafone and Hanover Capital case, which we were just referring to, court inserted a break clause at year five which was exercisable on not less than six months notice conditional on payment of rent and not being in material breach of covenant but not on vacant possession and then there's another case from 2018 which is quite interesting Duke Minster Limited and West End Investments where the tenant wanted to include a break right and the reason they wanted to include the break right was that there was anticipated uh, redevelopment going on next door and the tenant said they thought that they were going to be subject to work that was going to be so disruptive that they just wouldn't be able to stay there. Oh yeah that's right they worried about the, the, the nuisance basically weren't they being caused to their business. Yeah exactly but the court said that they didn't think that the chance of the work being so disruptive as to make the premises unuseful was really made out they thought that you know that was just speculative and obviously the tenant would have other rights under planning and party wall act etc so there, there was no justification for a break right in that case yeah that did seem a bit odd that case I thought it was an odd ground to try and argue for a break right each to their own and there's been a lot I mean there's always this uh, the, you know, big question when it comes to new leases about the rents. And obviously, there's been a lot of discussion in the press about leases in the retail sector, particularly, perhaps moving to turnover rents. Um, and indeed, I see that New Look uh, has moved 400 of its stores over to that model via 
its company voluntary arrangement. Sam, in a 54-act context, does the court have the ability to impose a turnover rent if the existing lease doesn't provide for that type of arrangement at present? Well, I'm afraid the short answer to this is that we don't know for sure, although I would tentatively suggest that there are some signs that the courts might be willing to do so in the right circumstances. Firstly, for those who might not be aware of the concept of a turnover rent, this is a rent that is calculated by reference to the turnover generated at the premises, and it is often encountered in the retail sector. And given the current pandemic, it's no surprise that uh, tenants like New Look um, are looking to enter into such arrangements. I'm afraid that this is also a rather technical answer, but we must start with what the courts have the power to do. Now, the power to determine the new rent of renewal lease under the 54 Act is contained within Section 34, which we've mentioned already, and it is clear that the courts have to approach such matters as a matter of valuation rather than uh, discretion. There is some argument as to whether the court even has jurisdiction to order a turnover rent. On the one hand, Section 34 requires the effect of the tenant's occupation of the holding and of the goodwill of the tenant's business to be disregarded when determining the rent, thus suggesting that the court does not have jurisdiction. But on the other hand, it requires the court to determine the rent for which the property might reasonably be expected to be let in the open market. So there is an argument then that if there is evidence that rents in the open market for similar properties are assessed by reference to a turnover rent, then a turnover rent could be regarded as being the market rent as opposed to a fixed rent. Therefore, this would fall within the court's jurisdiction. I'm afraid that this has not received much by way of judicial treatment so far, but that latter argument uh, was supported in an unreported county court case of NCP and Hawksworth in 2016, where a judge awarded a base annual rent plus 60% of turnover above certain levels. In that case, it was demonstrated that the conventional method for valuing car parks was on a profits basis. So it has fairly narrow application, quite arguably. This judgment is not binding, but it does suggest that the courts might be willing to impose a turnover rent if there is market evidence to suggest that one should be imposed. And it is conceivable that a long-term effect of the pandemic is that the retail sector adapts in such a way that turnover rents become more commonplace, which could have implications when it comes to lease renewals overall. Yes, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? As you say, Sam, there's not many cases on it at the moment, but I have a feeling that if we were to repeat this podcast in a few years' time... Think that might change going to be very interesting the other point that occurs to me actually just uh, casting my mind back with some dread but tenants do have to be a little bit careful with these things a uh, little bit careful about what they wish for because do you remember that time we had a break right to exercise and it was a turnover rent and these provisions in the leases you know it sounds really simple you say oh yes it was 60 percent of blah 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 and of course it's never that straightforward it's just some hideous calculation and then when you're trying to work out what your last rent payment should be when you've got a break right and you've got a turnover rent well let's just say I seem to remember we had the cold towels out didn't we <laughs> We certainly did, and landlords who are desperate for their tenants not to exercise its break will be using every possible argument possible to argue that the uh, the break is invalid. So if you're dealing with uncertainty as to the numbers when it comes to rent payments, which uh, turnover rent certainly gives rise to in particularly complicated examples, then 
then it could give rise to quite complicated disputes down the line. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever had one of those, George? No, not yet. Try the board. It's my recommendation. Oh, it's painful. Uh, well, thank you both for that useful summary of how we're likely to see lease renewal cases play out if landlords and tenants can't reach negotiated agreements on the heads of terms. There is bound to be some interesting case law here in due course. We will obviously monitor the cases and report any key decisions on our website in the usual way. In the meantime, if you haven't yet received an invitation to our newly launched Surveyors Refresher area of our website, which contains briefing notes on a variety of legal issues which affect property, please let any one of us know and we'll happily arrange to send you the details. In the meantime, stay safe and thank you for joining us. This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast. 